Hello, RP people, and welcome back to another episode of Roleplaying as Smart People, the podcast where you pretend to know or talk about when it comes to all things tabletop. Joining me today, I have Scott W. and Dave from Monkey Fun Studios. Hello! Hello. <laughs> <laughs> this is the greatest episode I've ever been on. <laughs> this, this is gonna be a lot of this is gonna be a lot of fun. Uh we literally just spent the past, was it 15 minutes talking, and we're like, oh shit, maybe we should be recording. Whatever. This. <laughs> That's because I had to be like sort of seventy-seven. See, now would be the hysterical thing to do. The Michigan J Frog thing is that now that you're recording, just to go hi. <laughs> no, but as soon as it stops, hello, my baby. Hello, my baby. <laughs> hey, yeah, now now it just becomes the most boring conversation in the world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. Thank I you. About, I forgot about that one. That one's such an old. That's an old one. Tell us about art games. Yeah. <laughs> um, so on tonight's theme, uh, we are talking about odd games. And how they do not require odd people. And getting to grips with, you know, tongue-in-cheek humor, uh, comedy, is not something that a lot of GMs feel comfortable with, you know, mm-hmm. actually doing. But before we get into all that, Dave, I'd like to ask, what what's your tabletop history? How did you get involved in the hobby? Oh, sure. Uh, let's see. You know... A lot of people, you know, when they ask me, you know, what my first game was, uh, it's it actually wasn't D and D. For whatever reason, I had I had read D and D, I had owned D and D, but it really wasn't the first game I played. The first game that I actually played, uh, TSR in the early '80s came up with a lot of different genres that they were trying to do, and I think the first one was Gangbusters, which was the version their version of the 1920s Prohibition era. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever played it or, or even familiar with it. Uh, and then after that, I played Boot Hill, and that's when uh, Star Frontiers and Gamma World. And eventually, I got into D and D. But that was re oh, and of course, Marvel superheroes. My God, that was like the the thing when I was uh, in in high school. Uh, both the gold box and the black. Uh, but ultimately. I think that because I didn't start with D&D, I never felt locked into just doing swords and sorcery kind of genres. And the fact that I realized or was exposed to different types of gameplay really early on. So it was really formative to the kind of things I enjoyed doing. Oh, that, that's it, it, that's actually really interesting. Because I've had quite a few people ask that question. Almost, oh, I've asked that question. And... I think like 99% of them, you're now the 1%, the only 1% who has said not D&D. That's... Yeah, and it's it was never something that I wasn't into D&D. At, for whatever reason, I just did not have players around me at the time that were into D&D. So, you know, there were a lot of, you know, it was very interesting at that time because it was, you know, you know real early and... D&D was something more that I was reading in things like Dragon Magazine and mm-hmm. things like that. But it wasn't something that I was participating in long types of campaigns like other people until I was a little older. Oh. So how, do you, how did you get into making your own RPGs? That Oh, uh, let's see. So, <laughs> funny story <laughs> that. Uh, so, I had, uh, I had just moved up to the Northwest and uh in the seattle area and i had just started working 
for because I, I I knew friends that all worked for Wizards of the Coast, and uh, obviously Magic the Gathering. I'm sure it's a little card game. Look it up, <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> and so at that time. You know, it was very blessing, or it was a blessing that uh, Wizards had just acquired TSR. So there were a lot of interesting people there to be able to, to uh, you know, talk to and, and meet about them. And, and it was the first discovery for me that you could actually do this as a living or, or, or ha- be part of the industry. And so I met a lot of interesting people. Uh, Wolfgang Bauer, uh, obviously uh, Rich Garfield. Uh, let's see, Mike Selinker, uh, oh, you know of Lone Shark Games. Uh, lots of Paul Peterson. Uh, lots of really sharp guys, and so it became kind of a, a thing in the back of my mind that it could be done to be able to be a writer. In, in, in the industry and i had actually very early done some like a uh, small stuff but i had never really uh done anything you know major until much later and when i had <laughs> i i was actually of all things uh i was in a band and the band uh, i had left the band basically i got tired of being you know doing that kind of thing and i was trying to find something to do and or, or creative outlet and uh, my buddy bob you know he he and i had played games you know for a very long time we've been playing at the time probably about 20 years or so and and i kind of had an idea of something that i wanted to do which was a 70s based game and shared it with him he thought it was a great idea and we basically once it for oh so when i first shared it with him it was not so much written down. It was slightly written in notes, but what really made spirit clear in terms of a concept was of all things, a Pinterest board. And I, I, I'm always very, you know, happy to share the story. You know, when I said to Bob, I said, Hey, Hey Bob, do you have a Pinterest account? And he asked me, why are you about to get married? You know, and <laughs> <laughs> because I'd love to see your dress. And I said, no, shut up. I want to send you something. And so I sent him the Pinterest board. And it was things like, you know, pictures of Richard Roundtree. And it was pictures of yeah. Burt Reynolds. And it was, you know, members of the the Warriors and, and all and Jim Rockford and all these things. And he looked at it and he goes, I know what you're talking about now. Because it was it always intended to be a love letter to something that both Bob and I were very interested in terms of a, a genre, but had grown up with. There was a lot of, uh, you know, when you say, when you talk about the 70s, you know, and, and, and it's easy to do it now, actually, because when, you know, now, if you talk about the 70s, there's a lot you can pull from. You can pull from. Uh, you know, the deuce, you know, that TV series that was on for a while, or you can, there's a lot of different, you know, things, but that have had a resurgence. But at the time when we were first talking about it, it really hadn't come up too much. And both Bob and I were very big fans of Quentin Tarantino and Quentin Tarantino, you know, shares a lot of the aesthetic of, you know, with what he did with Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and, and uh, Jackie Brown. Oh, Jackie Brown. Yeah. And, so it was easy to develop the communication about what we wanted to do. So 
what we did actually was kind of backwards in some ways and that some people what they do is they say okay i want to put a system together and because i have some interesting ideas about role-playing you know mechanics which is fine but that's not how we did it basically we came up with a genre of what we wanted to do and decide okay what system would work with this? And we talked about a lot of things. I mean, we talked about something that would be based off skill sets, something that was based off of fate. Uh, you know, <laughs> we could have Savage World it, uh, but we realized what we wanted to do was do something that Power of the Apocalypse really allowed us to do well, which was if you were a particular type of character, if you were like a, a tough guy or whether or not you were a rocker or whatever, we wanted to make sure that you had the capability of doing the shticks and the things that we saw in, you know, the seventies pop culture that really make it make it special. And th this is absolutely true. You know, one of my favorite moves, because people ask, you know, what's your favorite moves of everything you've written? And one of my favorites is always uh, a move called Sparkle Motion. <laughs> and Sparkle Motion is basically you spinning around in a circle and oh. your clothes change into like, you know, your undercover clothes. Okay. Basically the Wonder Woman move. Right. Yeah. And I don't care who you are and no matter how much of a tough guy you pretend to be. <laughs> Every kid in the 70s on grade school at some point did the spin to because they saw, you know, the Linda Carter TV series and whatever. And to this day, it is my favorite move that we have in the system because it's everything that is special about the 70s because you know for a fact Gail Gadot was never going to do that in the movie. No, but, no chance. But when you see her, you know, Linda Carter do it, you know, it touches something in you. You go, yeah, that's yep. the move right there. It is special. <laughs> you know, or the when you jump, you know, doing the, the Steve Austin, you know, the, da, 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 and everybody yep. moving slow and everything. Everybody knows those things. And it's those little pieces of the 70s that we really wanted to capture and keep alive and and promote as the version of the 70s we liked you know yeah you're not wrong like i mean obviously it's a great success but yeah i don't think any other system really would have captured really the ability for players to 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 really do what they want with that like the last time i ran spirit it was. It's always. It's almost always a table full of brand new people, and we had uh, the one of the dudes making the character. Um, he had the glitter spin, and he was like, "Well, hold on, what can I do with this?" And we're talking about it. I was like, "Hey, man, what do you want to do with this? Like, let's let's have this when we're playing, and we can, you know, we can play to find out if if you're not comfortable with what whatever you're doing." And they were cruising, looking for the uh, Los Churros gang because they believe they were involved <laughs> in stealing um, the. Plain jello, gelatin, which nobody ever wants, but yet these guys wanted it real bad. And so he gets out of the car, and I'm like, Well, how are you going to try? It? What are you going to do? He's like, I'm going to impress these motherfuckers. So I was like, What are you going to do? He's like, I get my, my roller skates on, and I do my fucking glitter move, and, and he's in his disco costume, and then he's skating up and down the street, like talking shit to this gang. <laughs> it's just like, there's I love no, that. There's That's, no system that captures that. That's freaking hilarious. One game I was playing, it was uh, and actually it was it was uh, an actual play. So I was doing it, and I had a player who said he wanted to have a tricked out van. 
yeah. and as his sweet ride. And <laughs> and I said, so what do you want it to be? And I said, well, I want it to be themed off of Jaws. Oh, and I'm yeah. going, what? Yeah. <laughs> so he wanted to have like the Jaws paintings, but on the top, he said, and I want on the top to have like a lifeguard tower that people can stand them. And I yeah. said, okay. And it, and he was racing. He was chasing oh, somebody. And, I, and then he says to me out of nowhere, all right, and I'm going to honk the horn. And it, no, of course, of course, I said, all right. And when you honk the horn, it goes, duh, duh. <laughs> and, and everybody at the table laughs because it's one of those things that one it's funny but two it's you go of course it does that what other thing could it do right and, and that's the sorry go ahead please no please oh, as i say and that's the beauty of and i there's and i know you, you you've done other stuff you guys have put more recent stuff out but like that's the beauty of of spirit. It's exactly what you said. It's it's no matter what happens, it's that's the response. Is like yeah, of course it does that. Yep. You know, like like the it was the last game I ran, and they were they were trying to figure all this out, and they finally figured out that someone was using Jello brand gelatin, the plain shit, to make Jello brand gelatin zombie mold people. <laughs> And they got to the end and they're like, they were kind of like, well, what, what are we going to do? Like, well, well, they're robbing a bank. We got to stop these bank robbers because that's who's using these jello people. And they go in there and uh, I was like, okay, well, you're starting to realize they're like, they're jello brand jello fembots. And you can see their faces like, I don't know what's fucking happening. You know, that glaze people get when they're like, okay, my brain is starting to go into this different place. And then I was like, and one of the fanbots rips her wig off, and you know she's like, "Don't move, suckers!" And it's Mary Tyler Moore holding yeah. the Uzi. <laughs> then the one dude, he's like, "Yeah, of course it was. Yeah, of course we're gonna kill Mary Tyler Moore." <laughs> I real, I'm always very happy that okay. And actually, let's let's actually take a step back on that one. So specifically, that um, whenever you're writing a game. Okay, and this is my advice to anybody who's actually putting a game together is that ultimately what you try to do is you try to have your target, you know, when you're a writer, you're a target audience, but you also have your target player, right? And and basically, you know, you have to determine who is the person that you are writing for in, in any scenario. And uh, one of my friends, you know, she, you know, she loves just going with the going with things and she's not you know she's not somebody who like you know crunches the numbers or anything she just says you know i, I i'm going for it you know and she <laughs> she just does things and like ultimately it was always whenever we were stuck in a situation like well how are we going to write this or how are we going to perceive you know how are we going to determine how this mechanic should work it would always go back well what would she do when she had <laughs> this situation and you know, and ultimately, more often than not, the more we could just say "go with it," the better it worked. You know, and 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 that's actually very straightforward. You know, it's yeah. like knowing that okay, you know what, she's you know, if she's in this situation, you know, she's going to base. You know, it's like a situation like okay, you see the cops. You know, they've they've put a barricade there. What are you going to do? She wouldn't hesitate saying, "Okay, what can I use to jump over them?" You know, and, and you're thinking. Yeah, that's kind of a new thing for you to do. Don't you work in the accountant department, you know, at your work? Yep, but I want to jump over that or I'm crashing through it. She doesn't even hesitate. And that's the best thing where you go, okay, we know this is going, you know, this is the kind of thing that you know that empowers 
specifically new players and also people who don't know the genre to be able to just be you know over the top if they want so it's kind of cool yeah absolutely man yeah it's just incredible it really is incredible to watch people who and it's kind of on the topic of like like you said there are people who aren't really sure about the game um and i'll try to put a big description of the game and links to videos and stuff for the for cons um, or even when I do a palette cleanser, but you, it's almost immediate because, you know, you never pre-gen characters because they're like, well, you didn't make characters like, trust me, <laughs> you're going to want to do this yourself and it's going to take five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And then once they start looking at everything and they're like, oh, wait a minute. And yeah, they start, you know, the talking starts. And then, yeah, you start to see the creativity really start to pop and they realize that they've they may have been shackled a little bit by preconceived notions in gaming. And then it's just the sky's the limits for a lot of people and it tends to change them for the better. I so okay talking a little bit about the system a little bit so um so obviously we're based off of uh, power body apocalypse and for those of you who have not played power body apocalypse you actually have a character that is based off of a particular type right i mean you would be like a you know apocalypse world is is you know meant to be kind of a futuristic kind of post-apocalypse thing so you would be the driver you know like the mad max or something like that and we realized that to really get the spirit of what we wanted to do, we had to add a different layer to it. So instead of just saying, okay, our fighters, which in our parlance is called tough guys, we didn't just want to have it based tough guys, right? We wanted to say you have your background, which affects how you do things and adds additional things called moves, which gives you little abilities to do. So once we added that, that particular aspect to it, it really made a lot of interesting ideas, for instance, and it made it so much easier to kind of convey it to people. So when you say, hey, you know, I want to be, you know, the $6 million man. Okay, cool. You are a <laughs> tough guy that has bionics, which would be X-Tech. Tech, yeah. Game. Oh, no, no, no. I want to be, I want to be Rocky Balboa. Okay. You're a tough guy, but you're a bad, you know, badass mother, you know, and yeah. all that. Because, you know, Rocky came from the street, you know, and, yeah. and these are the kinds of things that a allowed it to be able to be much more uh, adaptable for people than just saying you could do this or do that. So people could say, I want to be Jim Rockford. Cool. Here you go. You know, ex-con sleuth off you go, you know? And when we were really putting it all together, we realized that we kind of struck gold in the fact that we gave a lot of opportunities for people to act out fantasies. They never had the opportunity to do in games before. Sure. Yeah, hundred percent. No, that oh, I'm just listening to you guys, and like, I don't, I, 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 I feel bad because I can't really add too much to this conversation right now because I do not know too much about the '70s, like, so I, I kind of feel bad in that respect. No, no, no. And to be honest, actually, I'm really glad you bring that up because you know, obviously, a lot of times we have situations where people don't know the 70s you know it's like folks who were you know we we've had you know teenagers you know sit down and say well i don't know anything about this and you go don't let that slow you down i mean in fact one of the things we stress very clearly in uh the book and i know every you know every game tries to say that is that you don't have to set it in the 70s if you don't i mean we try to make the game very adaptable to where play the kind of character you want to play and the system will allow it no matter what and so we, you know, we really wanted to make sure that 
people to not feel that they had to be one thing or another. You know, it, 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 it's very open to the system. And actually, here's another aspect of this. So um, one of the things that was very important, which is in some ways controversial, actually, strangely enough, that we wanted to provide uh, specific scenario adventures that normally would not be the case in games powered by the apocalypse. So if you're not familiar with a game powered by the apocalypse, as I, I keep going back to, it's they're story-driven games, but a lot of the agency is based off of the player's actions. The, the GM is, is really meant to be uh, more in a participatory role as opposed to leading the players, right? So that works okay if you're saying okay we're all playing and we're playing like a swords and sorcery thing you know and because it's you know it's something that's ingrained but if you as a player or as actually as a gm would say okay i'm going to run this game but i don't know anything about the 70s right that that puts you at a loss and that's not fair to you so one of the things that we wanted to do at, at, you know for the adventures that we've put out is that we wanted to give the GM options that they could potentially take the story if they so choose. So if you if you ever read like you know in, in one of our adventures, which is available by the way through Drive Through RPG, <laughs> if you are interested, uh, link in the description. Thank you. So <laughs> you know you'll see like okay here's a character you know or here here is a potential here is an NPC you can enter and then there's like three listings of what you could do. One of them is to say okay they're you know this is how they could potentially work with the players. The other one is here's how they would work against the players. And here's another one which will just take it off the rails in some other silly way. And that's intentional because we always wanted to make sure that when you are doing this, you don't have to be an expert on the 70s or even, you know, you, you can make the game. And what I find is when I run uh, adventures for, for Spirit, that players always try, you know, you know, they always, you know, they try to, you know, stump the band. And so they want to do something that it's always, okay, we're going to do something that he's not going to expect or have plans for. Well, luckily I have the prep there to say, I know that I have put this already down on paper so I could see what you're planning to do could fit in with that. And then I can kind of basically still have things available. So that way I'm not caught flat footed. And, you know, we also highlight that as like, you know, what we call the big finish is like, OK, yeah. this is one way this could go out. You know, this is another way this, you know, and some of them are intended to be silly. Right. I mean, like, you know, I. Oh, oh yeah. So the most recent one we just put out uh, was called uh, Midnight at Mojitoville. Yeah. yeah. And of course, that combines <laughs> Salem's Salem's lot with Jimmy Buffett, because you need that. And. And, and so at the end of it, it says lots of different options, you know, and one of them, of course, I'm making, you know, I'm making references to all the silly stuff that happens in, you know, not just Stephen King, but it's like, oh, okay. So obviously the va the main vampire character, spoiler alert, there's a vampire in the Midnight <laughs> Mojitoville, but he, he obviously wants to form a rock band. And on one hand, you know, 
that sounds like absolute ridiculous silliness. On the other hand, you know, Anne Rice did really good with that idea. <laughs> so, yes. so it wasn't as silly as it could have been. And so there's a lot of things that we try to give options so you don't have to just kind of come up with this stuff, you know, on the fly or, you know, or you can basically find things that you can build off of within our stuff. So we, we do try to accommodate that. Oh, yeah. that's cool. And, yeah, and that's the thing is like, and that's part of like we've talked about on the podcast is, you know, if you don't know something or you're not sure how to get into it, I mean, the fastest way to do it is just I'd look for, go to IMDb and build movies of the 70s. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you'll watch one and then that you're like, okay, I get it. This is how they did things back then. And then that might help. But yeah, I think I've played Spirit in, I said it in the 80s because I thought that would be fun. And then, uh, but yeah, I've never moved it forward. But yeah, I can see how in the nineties it'd be. Oh man, I got a really good idea for the nineties. Make a <laughs> But yeah, it's it really is, and it really is because of powered by the apocalypse, and it's such a straightforward system. You're not really concerned with the mechanics. You're concerned with well, what do you do? Well, really, in Spirit seventy seven, and it really asks you not really what do you do, but how good do you look doing it? Absolutely. (laughs) I remember somebody saying to me that one of their favorite aspects of spirit is that we encourage the GM whenever they need a minute to play a song. And because one of the, the things that we really wanted to highlight about, you know, the seventies and just our gaming style, whatever was the fact that, you know, the music of the seventies was something very dear to us, you know, and everybody goes, Oh, what you mean? Disco? Well, yeah, there, you know, some of disco is kind of funny, you know, but it's also like, you know, play something that basically allows a character to have their theme music play or something like that, just to kind of do that. And that way it allows the, you know, the theme and the aesthetic to kind of kick in more than just feeling, okay, we need to, you know, make sure we're crunching the rules correctly. Yep. And, Actually, uh, so and, and and getting back to disco, actually, so you know, one of the fun things about it is that we have so many things that you know become funnier when you add disco to them. Sure. For instance, so I was writing, you know, one of the first the first adventure I had written for. Um, uh, for Spirit was a take on uh, a, TV, uh, a movie called Mother Jugs and Speed, which was <laughs> a a movie about an ambulance company, and it starred Harvey Keitel and Raquel Welch and Bill Cosby, and and so I, I, I and I thought it was very funny to have the players be in an ambulance company that was always you know spoiler alert, you know, always like five steps after anything that happened in a Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs thing. So basically, you know, they show up after the shootout with Mr. You know, you know, you know, Mr. Uh, Blonde and all that. They just show up there, you know, and like having to do the cleanup, but couldn't really get it to the next level. I mean, it was okay, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't what we were looking for. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, 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 call Bob and I go, I've got it. Okay. And I don't even say hello. I just go, I got it. And he goes, <laughs> what do you got? I said, I, I, I know how to fix it. I know how to fix the adventure. And he just goes, lay it on me. Two words, 
disco ambulance. And he went, <laughs> done. <laughs> so, okay, so what I, so, okay, so to, to, uh, to play test a game, I took it to the local game convention at the time, the one in Los Angeles, and I, I made it a secret game. Okay, I didn't say what the theme was. I just said it's, you know, you know, the secret game for Spirit of 77. And so I had people sit down and they had no idea what I was going to be doing. And, and when I play Spirit, I usually have my iPad with music there ready to go. And so and I have no idea if this game's going to work. I mean, because, you know, it's funny to laugh at, but you're also sitting here going, is this going to work? Is this too much? <laughs> and I say the name. I said, guys, the name of the adventure is disco ambulance and i hit the button and, da, 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 and it starts playing staying alive but a bg's and the entire table without prompting start dancing in their chairs with no like hesitation they were totally on it and when i was saying okay so describe you know the ambulance and they all are like oh it's got a big old disco ball right there on the top of the car and you're thinking <laughs> I, I, this is it. This is it right here, you know? So <laughs> the point being is it's, it, it's a lot, there's a lot of things to really build onto the aesthetic that make it a, a lot of fun. And we try to, or tried historically to pull from different things that we liked about the seventies and some things we didn't like about it. It's always fun to like try to find a way to make things into a little bit, you know, uh, palatable uh for instance you know one of the things i i really liked was uh you know obviously i i had mentioned uh planet of the apes earlier about that i was you know as a kid really like planet of the apes but one of the there's this genre of of uh movies that were really big in the 70s which were women's prison movies oh yeah okay oh yeah i mean like uh, called the uh the big bird cage and, and, so many was... yeah and you go well that's that's funny but there ain't no way i'm gonna run a game about a women's prison that's just <laughs> not gonna work unless exactly. <laughs> i combine it and make it women's prison of the apes and <laughs> The moment those two ideas came together, <laughs> it's like, you know, now you're going somewhere completely unique and it has overtones of like orange is the new black and all that. And it's just one of those adventures that where people hear the name and they go, I have no idea what this is. I'm in. Tell me where we're going on this. <laughs> so that's, so. The, that, that's part of this, right? We're, we're talking about this kind of finding or getting people to play a game like this and a few other things. And we, I promise we won't talk about Spirit 77 the entire time for the audience, <laughs> I swear. But have you? did you meet any resistance whatsoever when you were describing the game? Uh, sometimes. I mean, one of the things to talk about, actually, and, and this is a, a very more mature way to look at it, of course, is that, you know, we talk, Spirit is about, the 70s pop culture but there are things that are you know not cool obviously about the 70s i mean there's yeah. a lot actually and so we very early in the book make it very clear it's like this is not an excuse to basically you know you know you know do you know do lousy stereotypes or right or, yeah or whatever you know we say very clearly you know don't be a dick you right know, this, yeah you know, but, you know, it's very yeah. you know it's very yeah. true but it's also the fact that you know what we're talking about really is intended to be uh, an idealistic pastiche of a lot of these things. 
I think that probably the best way to describe it is, you know, just talking about some of it is I don't pretend I know all the things, you know, that, you know, went on in the 70s. No way. Oh, yeah. No, I don't even do that. But I can say that, you know, when I was there, I had a perspective and I try to, you know, honor it without it being too myopic and too, uh, you know, my way is not the, the old, you know, the only way. I mean, I, I am always willing to say that growing up, you know, as a little kid, uh, my personal hero was Muhammad Ali. Sure. And when you're five or six years old, you know, you, you know, you don't think about all the, you know, the, the struggle that Muhammad Ali had to deal with, you know, the African-American uh, issues associated with it. And I don't pretend to, you know, all I know is that when I was a kid, Muhammad Ali represented something to me of being a strong uh, man who believed in his principles, a yep. showman, fought Superman. And, <laughs> you know, that's special to me, but I'm not, I don't, you know, I don't own the idea of Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali is bigger than just my perspectives on it. So I always try to say, okay, we're not going to go for the simple stuff on this. We're not going to try to make things, you know, we're not going to, you know, pretend these things aren't there, but we're also going to acknowledge the fact that, you know, that's not what we're going to talk about. But yeah. it, it, you know, there are, there's a lots of things to do there. But the other thing to be very honest about is, you know, we're, you know, we write a game about, you know, you know, robotic gorillas. <laughs> you yeah. know, we, well, we do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. and we talk about things where it's like, you know, you know, you know, glam music gives you superpowers. Yeah. You know, we realize, you know, we're, we, our corner of the streets, not for everybody. It's very specific, but we don't try to say everything was, you know, lovely. It's just like, you know, the eighties weren't lovely. No time is lovely, but you know, this really is kind of a love letter to what I remember as a kid, you know, of all the kinds of things that were happening at the time. Yeah, sure. I'm just thinking right now, it's just like, could you imagine, uh, in the future when it's like, do you remember the 2020s? (laughs) Yeah, be, <laughs> nobody's like, gonna uh, have it it's like oh yeah that that sucked so here's the thing this is absolutely true okay yeah so i it, oh god this must have been about 10 years ago as a matter of fact and so i was trying to run a uh a vampire game actually and i was you know trying to do this and i realized that at the time, you know, my references to when I played vampire was when I was, you know, at the age group of being in the late 90s. Oh, boy. So I realized that I couldn't really describe <laughs> things the same way yeah. because it's so, you know, put in that particular time period, at least my perspective at the time, you know? Sure, yeah. And so when you, when you say the 90s, it's like you go, oh, you mean 10 years ago? No, sir. No. That's 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And you feel that nice cold brush of mortality wash over you. You go, oh, like a cold shower. And you go, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, my well, knees not, hurt. Oh, yeah. Not, not to make you guys feel old, but I was just a baby then. 
Yeah, oh, sure. wow. So was I, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Oh, man. See, so, back in the day. <laughs> oh, we're not getting into the back in the day. Oh, no, no, no. This is, absolutely, this is absolutely the best thing. It's like whenever I've run 70s games, like, or Spirit of 77 games in uh, at conventions, and I say, okay, so who are you going to Well, I'm going to get a hold of so-and-so. Okay, how are you going to do it? I'm going to pull out my cell phone. Yeah. And then you don't have to say anything. You just stare at them for a while, and then they go... <laughs> Oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs> you mean your car phone? Was car oh. phones in the seventies? Uh, oh, it's a it's a big deal when you have a car phone. Yeah. Oh, Cleopatra Jones had one, and all the you know. Oh, yeah. she was so special because of it. But she was a secret <laughs> agent, of course. So. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. oh, so totally not related to the game. So one time I was uh. Uh, meeting up with my wife at a, at a restaurant at because I was working late and mm-hmm. uh, my phone uh, my my phone had died okay ran out of power my cell phone so no problem I go to the, the restaurant and she's not there and I don't know quite where she is so I think oh okay I'll just call her phone but my phone's dead so I'll call a pay phone none <laughs> <laughs> there uh, were yeah. no pay phones in the entirety of like the four restaurants and bars in the area until finally <laughs> i had to go you know I, I i went to a waitress and i said in a, in a bar and i said you know i'm looking for a pay phone I, i'm trying to call my wife but my phone's dead and she says and totally reasonable she goes oh just just call her with my phone okay and again that's not a big deal but then i thought about it going so my wife's gonna get a phone call yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from a phone number she doesn't recognize and if if she doesn't pick up she's going to call it back later and it's like you know <laughs> yeah, exactly oh, yeah. it, you know it's like <laughs> yeah just a waitress loaned me her phone and on one hand that doesn't seem like a big deal on the other hand it makes me go i am very old <laughs> yeah, that's very weird i don't know how to describe that one so God, it's a different time, but yeah. Like you said, it, it, on one hand, you go, that seems reasonable. On the other hand, you go, what, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, like what happened was, yeah. it's like the start of, you know, the hangover. Yeah, yeah. hi, honey. Yeah, we fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Want to know my favorite part about the hangover? Totally going off on a tangent. Yeah. So, I, you know, when you watch the hangover, okay, you're watching it, you know, whatever, and they wake up and what have you. And actually, I've been wondering about how to do this for like a Spirit of 77, like setup. But the other thing that happens is like, okay, they go in there and there's a tiger in the bathroom. Yes. Right? And they go, you know, don't go in there. And then, uh, uh, what's his face? The guy from uh, uh, Star is Born. Uh, the Bradley Cooper. Yep. His character goes in, looks in there, and closes the door. And then he does the move that I love. He starts laughing, going, whoa, <laughs> there's a tiger in there. <laughs> yeah. And that's the moment of the movie I love. Because uh, any other movie would be like, oh, my God. Or they would do like the over-the-top double take. On yes. the other hand, what he does is he starts laughing, going, there's a tiger in there. <laughs> and, that is a much more relatable situation for me to go, oh my God, that's just happened. Right, yeah. <laughs> that's, we're, what are we doing here? How you messed know? up were we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So we can shift from 
spirit to the other big game that you you, you guys have. We got a couple. You do I, have a I couple. Get... To be fair, yeah, you have Malice and uh, that's the name of it, right? Malice. Am a I town wrong? called Malice. A yes. town called Malice, and then but Bedlam Hall. Sure. I got one question I want to ask oh. right before. Okay, yep. go ahead. Just because we're still on the comedy thing. Okay. So include like when I was talking with Finder, he can't be here today because uh, he's got a little bit of the sniffles. <laughs> and he was talking about how he has trouble running like, you know, comedy style games because for one, he doesn't believe he's funny. He doesn't believe he can create the humor. <laughs> and he's just this. is This is literally what he said. Um, and he he doesn't know if he can deal with the tongue in cheek style comedy or any of that kind of stuff. So for GMs who, and I, I think everyone kind of has this, but GMs who don't believe that they're funny or GMs who don't think that they can deal with comedy as the basis for the game, how would you uh, recommend that they try and do a more comedic game? I'm actually really glad you bring that up. Um, so wh- I honestly don't try to make uh funny games i know that sounds odd but you know i don't really i and you know a lot of the humor that comes up in in spirit and bedlam mall is you know you know silliness but it they take but it's always taken very seriously about it being the case and i'll 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 segue into this you know talking about bedlam hall in a minute so one of the things that i i i personally dislike is uh games that make you try to be funny you know because i don't want you to you know i don't want you to do anything you know as a, as a designer i don't want you to do anything you're not good at or you know i don't want you to do anything that you don't want to do that's not fair to you right i mean you should play the kind of game you want and i should try to provide you the best game possible all right that's that is the that is the uh, agreement we have, you know. I make it, you run it. That's how, and they play it, right? And one of the, an example of this, a game that, you know, it, it's a it's a fine game. It's a good game, but in the wrong hands, I despise it. Is paranoia? Okay? <laughs> yeah. And it's not that I don't like paranoia. I love paranoia as what it is, but the problem is, you know. Paranoia becomes in in the wrong hands a scenario of basically GMs killing their characters over or, or their players over, over over for no apparent reason, right? And it, or basically, yeah, you aren't going to win. You know, yeah. it's like you know, the, the, you know, basically, it's it's the the wily coyote version of 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 Call of Cthulhu. It's like nothing you do is going to work. You're always going to die, and that's not really what paranoia is. Paranoia is like uh, Terry Gilliam's Brazil, right? That's really what it is. Where basically you are wrapped up in doing the absolute dumbest things possible in a very serious approach, right? Which is, you know, the, the whole point of it, you know, and one of the things that paranoia really is supposed to do, if, at least in my opinion, you know, your mileage may vary. And I want to also state that, you know, I'm just talking about my own opinion, <laughs> but paranoia is really great when it's a metaphor for corporate America, right? 
where you know you are sitting there having to do these you know write up you know the, the tps reports yeah. or, you know office space or whatever yeah. office space works as a movie isn't not because they're doing silly things but because the seriousness of the the the, the silliness you know that you're being asked to do is what really propels it so I honestly, when people say I'm not funny, it's like, you don't have to be you. In fact, I think you should be deadly serious about the scenarios, but you should, you know, acknowledge the fact that the scenario is ludicrous because that's really what comedy is about, you know, taking, you know, a ludicrous situation as seriously as possible. And so talking about Bedlam Hall, see how I did that? Nice. Bedlam Hall. That's a nice segue. Talk, you know, one of the things the Bedlam Hall excels in i like to think or at least i tried to to do well in it was the fact that you are not the star of the movie yeah in, in bedlam hall not at all. bedlam hall was uh, so bedlam hall as a as a concept started off uh, thanks to my wife i talk about my wife a lot but she's she, I, I like her i'm gonna keep her and <laughs> we were watching uh the, the Downton Abbey series and you know she liked it and I said ah, I don't really want to watch it what have you you know I, I you know I, I I'm not into this but I got hooked on it because I was watching it and and when you're watching Downton Abbey for those of you who have not seen it it's too you know it, it's the a group of people half of them are the servants half are the family and you know how they interact with one another and what's interesting about downton abbey is that the servants have to do so many things that are just you know you know they are you know having to deal with the ramifications of what the family does all the time all the time and so it made me think of uh, a couple of things like uh remains of the day if you've ever seen remains of the day uh where basically Anthony Hopkins' character is a butler who has devoted himself to being, you know, working in service, and his uh, the 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 lord of the household decides he's going to get involved in politics, and so in the backstory of Remains of the Day, the 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 British lord is speaking with the Germans right before or, or in the very early days of World War II. Okay. And so the point is, you know, he's playing with politics that he doesn't understand, but he thinks he can because he's, you know, nobility, you know, and, and so, but that's not the main story going on. It's really the fact that Anthony Hopkins character is going through his life intentionally not looking beyond his day-to-day work, you know, and his father dies and he doesn't mourn him and he actually loses somebody who falls in love with him and whatever. And the point being is that he is so wrapped up in, in his job that he doesn't see the world going on around him. And he combined that also with uh, uh, P.G. Woodhouse's uh, series, Jeeves and Wooster, if you've ever seen that. Yes? No? No, huh? No. Okay. No. okay. So, all right. Back when Hugh Laurie was British, he used to be... <laughs> He used to be a comedy partner with uh, Stephen Fry, Fry and Laura. Yeah. And Stephen Fry, I hope you know who Stephen Fry is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so they did 
a, a series called Jeeves and Wooster based off of uh, a series of novels by P.G. Woodhouse. And Jeeves and Wooster, Wooster is, it's after World War One. Wooster is like one of the, you know, a, I, I'm trying to describe him. He's a, he, he's a rich flake. Okay. With not a brain in his head. And the, the only reason he is allowed to live really, I mean, I mean, the only thing that keeps him, you know, without really getting himself in trouble is that his butler is smarter than he is. And his butler is always trying to basically save the predicaments that Wooster gets himself into Jeeves. And so very interesting thing. Right. And so I like that. Okay. And so, my wife and I were, you know, finishing up watching Downton Abbey, and my wife says, "Why don't you write a, a game based <laughs> off of Downton Abbey?" And I thought, you know, I don't know if I really could because I can't find a hook to it. Mm. I couldn't figure out, you know, I, I couldn't get around it. You know, I mean, it's interesting, but you know, it's not necessarily the, you know, the most exciting thing out there. And then so. We were, uh, you know, we went to the grocery store and in the frozen food section, because I remember this very specifically, I said, wouldn't it be funny if the servants had to deal with the Adams family? <laughs> and then I just start chuckling right there. <laughs> and my wife goes, well, you know what? And I said, I, I've got it. And I go back and basically the whole game is the fact that the players are not the, like they're not the ones causing the problems necessarily, <laughs> yeah. but it's about the drama of having to clean up after idiots, dangerous, <laughs> supernatural idiots. Because I thought about it going, you know, one of the things I love about, uh, or, or love and hate about uh, Call of Cthulhu is that, you know, Call of Cthulhu is like life and death struggles and the yeah. universe can collapse and this and that and the other. That's great. But you and I both know that's not the real way things happen. You know, I, I, I lived in New York for a little while, right? And the, the, God bless New Yorkers because New Yorkers <laughs> will be able, they will see this is, you know, I always joke about this. Like a New Yorker, you know, be right there in like right there on Times Square, a pterodactyl may fly down and take a baby right out of a carriage. And the New Yorker will go, ah, I hate it when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? That doesn't happen. Yeah, that happens. No, it doesn't happen. That's not what happens. But they are so jaded that they basically, eh, whatever. And they go, you know, as long as it doesn't slow my commute. And so. The whole premise of it was dealing with the fact that, you know, when people are dealing with people who are like, you know, hey, let's open the Necromonicon. Okay, <laughs> fine. But, you know, in my life, I'm never going to open up the Necromonicon. God hope. God willing. <laughs> but I know for a fact, at, at certain points in my life, I have worked for people who I go, you would open the necromonic. <laughs> you would do it. You know, get out. Wouldn't even listen. Just go, oh, fancy that. David, would you like, you know, do something about that? Okay. Yeah. And so the humor of it was the fact that basically these characters, you know, the players are in a situation where they are obviously smarter than the people they work for. And they're always having to basically do a lot of cleanup for them. 
But also part of what Bedlam Hall became was the fact that base, you know, one of the funny things, and this is one of the reasons why Bedlam Hall, you know, some people really don't like it because it, it doesn't necessarily encourage player versus player, but it definitely, you know, lends itself to where player, you know, players will intentionally be, I don't want to say dicks, but they will <laughs> definitely like, you know, the, their, the aspects of their work situations will kick in where they, they will like, you know, try to jockey for things yeah. that gets, you know, that some people don't like. And so <laughs> I make it clear, you don't have to do that. And that doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's like some, it, it, it's like some cruel stuff. Um, a good example of this, a good example. So I was playing a game and uh, I, the two friends, you know, two friends of mine and they were friends, they were close friends playing one of them was the butler the other was the 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 lady's maid and and she sends me a note saying and she sends it to me privately she says i'm gonna you know i'm gonna i've decided i'm gonna get toby's character killed (laughs) now i'm looking around at the table and okay i'm going you know and i see her and she's very passive about it she's you know she's made up her mind cool and i look at at her at toby you know the and Toby doesn't know. They're friends. He it's not even crossing his mind he's gonna get backstabbed by, you know, this other person. And so I read the note and I look at the two of them and I go, Okay. <laughs> and I watch for the next hour, she is basically setting him up to be killed. And as a as as the GM, I'm sitting here going, Okay. You know, and he doesn't know. And then finally, within the last five minutes of the game, she puts him in a situation and then quietly locks the door behind him mm. where he's in with like the Lord had turned into a werewolf or something. And then all of a sudden you could watch it just wash over his face <laughs> directly the the, 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 the realization of, Oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm and he danger. looks over at, 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 at Stephanie, her friend and Stephanie's just kind of got that kind of, she's got a, you know, she's not smiling, but her eyes are twinkling. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, she, and he looks over at me and I'm like, I didn't do it. <laughs> and so the whole thing was that basically he realized, oh, I've been set up. This is, this is, this is totally messed up. And, you know, it doesn't always do that. Sometimes players pull together just like in work situations, but it's also a situation where, you know, you find people will do the weirdest things for the weirdest reasons. And that's really what Bedlam Hall was intended to be. And, and, and just to finish the thought on this, and then I'll let you guys talk for a second. Uh, also, while writing it, I was, uh, you know, I, I, I figured out what the setting was going to be. And I figured out what the, you know, the conflict was going to be. But I couldn't figure out the voice. Because one of the things that's very important when you're a writer is to figure out the voice of what you're writing as spirit was easy actually spirit basically if you read spirit i am you know bob and i are trying to write like dr johnny fever from wkrp that's how we're we're basically trying to write okay so but i couldn't figure out the voice and then of course because my wife you know and i watch a lot of tv she's watching uh the tv series a series of unfortunate events (laughs) and i'm watching it and then i went oh that's the voice and so nice once you put that in and like you know if anybody who reads uh bedlam hall they realize it's written in a very like depressing manner i mean the the the, the catchphrase (laughs) is you know depressing game about horrible people yeah and 
you know, I openly tell people, uh, you know, I, for a very long time when I was on Twitter, whenever I, <laughs> people were saying, you know, hey, has anyone ever played Bedlam Hall? I would respond going, you shouldn't. <laughs> I regret writing it. It's a bad experience. You, no. I mean, or you say, hey, I just played a game. I just played Bedlam Hall for the first time. I am so sorry. You also do that in every adventure that you guys put out. It always does. <laughs> like, oh, well, uh, this, wow, what's the, what's the, you have an adventure that continues the story. Oh, shit, I can't think of it. It's not funny. Oh, yeah, continuation of horrible events. Yeah, and yes. you're like, we didn't enjoy the first one, and neither should you. <laughs> and actually, one of the, the really great things about doing that, about doing Bedlam Hall, is that I get to make fun of all these things. Like, my favorite really is, uh, there's two actually. One was the most recent one, which was uh, uh, the odor from outer space. Yeah, <laughs> because I'm making like real fun of like Lovecraft. Because I, you know, I mean, Lovecraft. You know, a lot of people get really, you know, have a very, you know, love hate relationship with him for a lot of good reasons. But mine is always, you know, he's a little ridiculous. <laughs> people, haven't you ever thought about this stuff? Like, oh, I'm gonna be afraid of a color. <laughs> <laughs> all right that's, that's cool that's fine and so i get to write these things like for the one which was about the the play the play i didn't write the, i didn't write the adventure but i wrote the play and oh. it was my take on the king of yellow nice. and it's awful oh it's awful <laughs> and actually one of there's a character of one of the the members of the family that she's like a 16 year old ingenue who's in that awkward <laughs> stage, you know, so she's yeah. writing awful, awful poems. I mean, really bad poems. And so for a while there, for like about a, a month, I was trying to write the worst poems I could for the, in her voice. And you think you can do that, but you can't you, because eventually your own brain, it's kind of like trying to choke yourself where you're going, okay, eventually you're going to pass out if you're trying to choke yourself, you know, you know, like with your own hands, you know, eventually your body will, st or like if you're trying to hurt yourself, your body will stop you. Okay. <laughs> Same thing with your brain when you're writing bad poetry, where you'll get to a point you go, ah, I shouldn't do that. That's just bad. <laughs> That's awful. And and I would I, I, I would write these and I would share them. I'd say, hey, I want to tell you guys a poem. And then my friends would just go, don't, don't, Dan. Don't, no, 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 this is important. And those got published. And so the character, and I put them in there so that way if anybody's playing the character or the, the GM is running the, the daughter, he can have her sting these poems. And they're awful. And so one of my friends who was who was when I was playtesting the overall game, I said, So what'd you think of the poems? Because he was an English major. And he goes, <laughs> and this is what he said. He goes, All of them are about her trying to, you know, talking about her sexuality. What? <laughs> what are you <laughs> I wrote about a 16-year-old <laughs> sexuality from the Edwardian age? He goes, Yeah, and she's messed up. Like, oh, so, so ew, and now I can't read the poem because now I read them go, ew, <laughs> ew. Yeah, like, you made it weird. Thank you. Now you've made it awkward for me. Yeah. I can't read this. Oh, man. So anyway, so that's Bedlam Hall. Yeah. So <laughs> you were saying, now that I've talked in an hour off of that. No, no. Yeah. 
No, no, it's all good. Uh, I was going to say, do you mind? Because my recording on my end, I my uh, browser for some reason refreshed and it's a little messed up. Do you mind if I stop the recording for a second just so I can boot it back up? So getting back to the original point that you guys were saying. Yeah, people, should, yeah, people shouldn't have to try to be yeah. funny. I don't think that, you know, because ultimately what, you know, comedians always say, like the really good ones say that, you know, com- comedy is not, you know, just, you know, trying to be funny. Comedy yeah. is trying to be serious in situations that are ridiculous. You know, that's yeah. where we, you know, that, that's really where the humor is. And so, you know, one of the reasons why Bedlam Hall, I like to think, you know, a lot of its humor comes out of the fact that, you know, you are often asked to deal with situations, dread, you know, deadly seriously that yeah. make no sense. And they shouldn't. Uh-huh. Because ultimately right. you're dealing with people who are, you know, a little bat crap and yeah. they, you know, are, and it's just not a situation that, you know, most people will get to handle and, or, or should be able to handle seriously. So that's, that's kind of what I say when people say, well, I'm not funny. It's like, don't try to be run the yeah. game. Run the game is exactly the way it is. You know, getting back to spirit for a second, you know I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, Beast bound and down, you know, hmm. it's a very serious game about finding that you have, you know, Bigfoot in the back of a truck, you know, and like, well, what do you do, you know, and then you just kind of roll with it and it works out just fine, you know, <laughs> I mean, so, so that's what I say to that. But, right. and, and ooh, ooh, check this segue out. Oh, you guys are going <laughs> to love this. But talking about, talking about humor. So for a town called Malice. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was very difficult for me to write A Town Called Malice. Not because I didn't know what to say. Okay. A Town Called Malice came out of my love of uh, Nordic horror stuff. Sure. And there's a whole, it's a whole genre. I mean, like if you ever see like Dark or Fortitude or even, you know, even somewhat you know, stranger things or something like that, where there's mm. a, where basically small towns are having to face or twin peaks is when I say actually more often than not things outside of their realm. So I knew what I wanted to do, but I also realized I couldn't fall back on the crutch of trying to be funny because sure. I mean, you know, because the, the, it, it did a disservice to what I was trying to say to, you know, basically take the easy way out of making like a little like quip or something like that. I, I had to be very, take it as seriously as possible and, and really re-examine how I was writing in order to make it come across, you know, the way I wanted it to in terms of its theme. Yeah, that's. I haven't looked too much into a town called Malice. I re, I saw the front art of it. And I was like, oh, that looks really neat. And I didn't. What? So what? What makes what? Like what makes Nordic horror different from like uh, other types of horror? Sure. Curiosity. So a good way. Okay. Um, a great example of it is the BBC does a lot of things based off of the Nordic style. In that, uh, if there's a series called Broadchurch, have you heard of that? I think I have heard of that, but I don't okay. think I've seen it. So what happens a lot in American thrillers is mm-hmm. that you know it's the monster of the week or the dead body of the week or what have you, and then it's solved by the end of the episode, and then you move on, right? Yeah. For 
for things like the BBC or Nordic, it's one situation or one death across the entirety of the season. And what they talk about is how the death affects everybody in the town, not just like the, you know, the immediate people. It's not focused primarily on, on the detective. They talk about, well, what are her friends dealing with? What is her family dealing with? What is, you know, what, you know, what does the town drunk think about this? You know I mean? Yeah. Because they're intended to be based off of very small communities dealing with tragedy. And, you know, Twin Peaks is the Ameri- the best American ver- uh, example for it because, you know, Twin Peaks, you know, the death of Laura Palmer just kicks everything off. But it's also really indicative of what stops people from really getting things done, I guess yeah. is a good way to put it, because one of the mechanics in the game, it, it was based off of a system uh, put out by um, uh uh, sorry, I, I, by a system put out by a game called Home by Dark. And uh, what I wanted it to do was that I didn't want to have like like skill stats or something like that in it, okay? Mm-hmm. Because it it you know it's not really what is important in these types of stories. What's really more important is is talking about relationships. Yeah. Because you know in in uh, you know it, some people reference uh fiasco you know a little bit oh, yeah. uh but it's it's more that you know when you have small towns you uh more often than not there's so much damage already there you know yeah and, and jason olson he's the guy who wrote it he he really did a great version when he created home by dark because it was more intended to be like uh, small groups of kids, you know, like ET and dealing with oh. things like that. But for me, I wanted to say, okay, here's the situation where you we could solve the, you know, the mystery going on so much faster if we weren't still kind of reeling over the fact that, you know, we we had a fight at the prom and neither of us yeah. gotten over it, you know. And that's more realistic. Mm-hmm. And some of the storylines that come out of uh, Malice are such that it gets very personal in a way that uh, it's very interesting to see people pull these things out from themselves that you wouldn't normally. The 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 as I said, uh, there's always a big bad, and usually it's a supernatural. And, and and part of the way you succeed is you you know in gameplay also have to deal with the. Uh, you know, the relationships that you have with, you know, the people around you and some of them are bad, right? Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen in a game, yep. and I mean it, it is the most disturbing. So we were playing a scenario that was based not unlike Jaws, where it was based off of a summer island in the off season or, or the beginning of the off season. Okay. So and actually that fits because it's a small community, people know one another, the tourists come in and out, but the people who live there, you know, very isolated. And so the, the, they, at the end of the game, you know, had managed to technically uh, vanquish the monster. Okay. And I'm yeah. not going to say what the monster was, but, you know, they, they did it. But one of the player characters, the character, 
he said, you know what, as the sheriff of the town, I, I've got to tell, you know, the mainland of what's going on. And he's deciding this. And so the other players all kind of glance at one another and they all, and, and let me put it, let me, let me go back to this. This is actually really damn creepy to know your friends have this in them. Okay. Because they all realized as, as characters, he's going to get the, ta- get the town in trouble and we're going to have, we're going to have a bad winter to deal with it. And they all decided now we're not going to let him leave the town or the, the island alive. Yeah. And they're doing this. Now I'm sitting here going, but you guys have won. <laughs> you've, you've, beaten, you've beaten the monster. You don't have to do any of this. And they're all looking and going, yeah, we know, we know, but he's going to tell everybody we can't let him do that. And he's sitting there. He's hearing this. I mean, there, I mean, because I mean, the narrative is what's, you know, driving this. And he's going, you guys are going to kill my character. And they go, yep. We're going to do that. And so what they do, okay, because it's the last, it's like Labor Day weekend, the game's happening. So a bunch of the players are, or the characters are taking him across the water, the, 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 the you know, the, the, to the mainland by an, a, uh, by a rowboat. Okay. Yeah. And, and they're describing this to me about, oh yeah. And then we're going to like, when he's not looking, we're going to tie you know, the anchor around him or his ankle and we're going to toss it over. And I'm sitting here going, you guys realize you've won, right? You don't need to do any of this. And they're all like, yeah. And I look at the player they're doing this to and he goes, yep, they should because I'm going to tell the mainland, I'm going to go to the state police and tell them. And then they, and they said, will you narrate what happens? And I said, okay. So Kurt, no, all of a sudden, oh you know, God. they push you into the water and you realize that they've tied the anchor around you. And as you, you know, as you're sinking in, you can still see the fireworks in the night, the midnight sky. And as you go deeper, the fireworks get dark, fainter and fainter and fainter. And the darkness just keeps taking over. Until all you see is darkness and everybody is just sitting there. And at that moment, everybody realizes what they've just done. (laughs) And and this was at a convention and all weekend, Kurt was going, you guys killed me. (laughs) And they were going, you were going to tell, I know, but, 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 and, and I, 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 you know, and when people say, you know, what's the darkest thing you've ever seen in a game, it's that because all the players made the as characters the con because not as themselves of course but it's yeah. made the conscious decision that the health the health and welfare of the town was best served by keeping the secret of what had happened that weekend and because the sheriff was too de- devoted to telling the truth about what happened that they were willing to kill somebody they knew because uh, in the town the sheriff you know they grew yeah. up with this guy but they said no you are going to ruin the town. And the reason why I find that so scary is because they were doing it for nobody was possessed. Nobody was doing this because they had made a pact with Satan or anything like that, or or like, or or becoming a monster or anything. They all went off of a darkness that they all agreed to as their characters in the town. That is so real that, you know, you know, it's more frightening. 
you know, because realizing that all these people did something or were willing to do something that, you know, nobody, you know, would, would, could not, or, or nobody thought they had it in them, but everybody realized they did. Yeah. And it was amazing. And that's the kind of <laughs> moment in a game that you go, wow, that was, that was intense. And that's the kind of thing a town called Malice really tries to lean towards. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to pick up the game now. It's not I, uh, intense. Holy shit. It can be. I mean, no. one of the, the play sets we did uh, is a, uh, is one that takes place on a space station because one of the precepts of the game is the fact that you're remote, you're distant from everybody and that you're, you know, you are having to deal with your own problems. You can't just call in the, the national guard, the, the town has to deal with it. And I remember, you know, I, I was playing the game and one of the things about the game, it doesn't really have like a, a, a a storyteller you have somebody who may narrate it or lead it but once you have players who've picked it up you don't need to they really just kind of drive it themselves and i was playing uh i love playing a robot you know i i really do and so i'm playing the medical robot and so the medical robot for whatever reason got was in a bad or was disliked by like the one of the station people just hated the robot because he was a robot and for whatever reason the robot got stuck on like the escape module with the monster in it and i'm i'm playing the, the the robot right and i'm telling them saying no you should jettison me and then they're saying and immediately the character, the player changed their attitude going, no, I can't do that. And then I, as the or the robot said, are you my friend? Oh. And, and I, I straight up guys, I started crying. Oh. Me, me, the guy who wrote this crap. And she starts crying. She goes, yes, you're my friend. And then I'm jettisoned off into space. And I'm like, holy God, this is like, this is terrible. Oh my God. What have I done? And that's what I really like about it. And, Getting back to the original theme about this entire podcast <laughs> is that this is odd. This is something that's really hard to explain to somebody who plays D&D, right? I mean, you go, yeah, you're going to be playing a group of people who are in a Nordic town that are like <laughs> covered in winter and alone. That, that That's not a really big sell, you know. Oh, and Strahd's there. You know, they don't go for that. But what I've noticed is that sometimes people will come into the game and they will realize that games can be more role-playing games can be more than just you know hack and slash or just rolling dice because yeah ultimately they realize they are all responsible for the story and sometimes people will make the stories you know much more personal they'll touch on things that uh you know that they that they had wanted to explore and you will see players who may not necessarily be you know the people who really get into the role play of it go into like new nuances that they themselves weren't aware that they could do and it's amazing to watch it's it's one of those things that afterwards you feel i've really you know this has been a game right here this is something and one thing i can say um you know i and and i i realize that you know it's a hard sell if it, it flat is flat out is even if you just hear about it on paper you know but when people like it they really like it one of the biggest uh fans of a town called malice 
is Alan Barr. Oh, uh, Alan nice. Barr of Gallant Knight. Um, yeah. Oh, you know him. Okay. Um, Alan, Alan and I are, you know, you know, we, Alan's, a, you know, a, a professional friend who I honestly, <laughs> well, I say that because yeah, yeah. we met because we're both creators. I mean, I, you know, yeah, he lives sure. on the other side of the t- uh, country. I live on the here and we, we basically start corresponding and what have you. And mostly because, you know, we would talk about stuff and he really likes a town called Malice. And so one of the things I always want to say is whenever I talk about Malice is that Alan has always encouraged me to keep going with it because he has said, this is one of my favorite games ever. And he really likes the being able to beat whenever I, I run a game to participate because he knows it's going to be something special. And and before I forget anything, and, and I realize this may sound kind of hokey, but if you are you know looking for other games, look at Gallant Knight stuff as well as mine, because mm-hmm. Alan is a hell of a writer. I like to say that Alan is the Shakespeare to my Christopher Marlowe in the fact that we write completely different. You know, we are completely different, but we are both absolutely in admiration of each other's styles and abilities and check out what he does. It's great. Um, yeah. So, so I always want to stress that, you know, it's a kind of game that when you people really kind of lock into it, it, it's a different style of gameplay than most people are used to. And, and, but they get hooked on it really hard. Yeah, actually, um, I, I I myself actually own quite a few of uh, Gallant Knight games, Tiny D Six systems. So, yeah, no, that's uh But um, do you get the magazine? Of, I was gonna say I some not, someone on this I podcast do. that just asked you a question wrote for the magazine. I have written for the magazine. Uh, yeah, you have. Oh, <laughs> interesting. I write, it, and what happens is that you know, Alan just realizes. Dave's just going to send me something. I don't know what it's going to be. There you go. And so for him, basically what he'll do is he'll say, you know, I am would really like to see something on this. And I go, okay. And then I wait a little while until he forgets about it. And then I write it and send it to him. And he goes, what? What? Uh, for instance, I uh, created, a, I, I do a recurring c- series called uh, Tiny 66, mm-hmm. which is his version of Tiny Supers, but it's based off of like uh, uh, the Batman TV series and not the animated one. I mean, the one with Adam West. Yeah, the good one. Yeah. Or, or, or the, uh, you know, or like the Green Hornet, if you've ever seen that or any yeah. other. Basically, every one of the adventures I write starts off with the players in a death trap, you know, because that's, you know, it, it, that that's how the Batman series always was, you know, where you tune in tomorrow. And so, I always like trying to write new stuff for Alan's stuff because it allows, you know, it allows, you know, different takes on some of the great things that he's put on that most people, you know, some people like, you know, I hope, you know, but it also, you know, shows the versatility of the things he's written. Oh yeah. It's quite a bit. And um, one thing I wanted to mention, like you were talking about how, uh, you know, town call mouse doesn't really fit what we're talking about tonight, but I don't think it does at all because Although it it's not it's not co- comedy, it is odd in the tabletop perspective because it is something as like you're explaining it. I'm like I want to play this because this seems like to be an experience that I've never had with tabletop before with how it's played, and it just sounds extremely fascinating. And 
without reading the rules and just like looking at it, I'm like, could I even try and run that? Would I have a hard time? And I think that's kind of part of what all like, it's kind of crazy because your entire collection tends to be these, I don't want to say oddball, but these really kind of unique world point, like viewpoints from different eras, different things that really just kind of, I don't know. Not to sound super cheesy to use your line, but it's almost like magical in a way. So, I, I think that actually, you know, we're, we're getting to a very interesting piece of conversation where one of the, uh, one of the things I take to heart when I, when I do things is not only what Clint Eastwood has said about the movies he directs, right? And if you've ever taken a look at some of the movies that, Clint Eastwood has directed, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Dirty Harry, this, that, and the other, but you look at, like, some of the things, like, Bridges of Madison County, or, you know, some of the more quiet movies that he makes, and he has said that, you know, I, when I, when I decide to make a movie, it's not because I think other people want to see it, but it's because I'd like to see it, and I hope other people would, too, and, um, you know, ultimately, I realize that, I tend to make games for things that I would like to see in the space as opposed to doing things that are, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, easy or popular. I mean, yeah. you cannot imagine how many weird stares I got when I said, well, after Spirit of 77, I'm going to do a game about servants. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, after World War One, oh, yeah. are you adventurers? No, <laughs> no, no, not quite. No, no. But Bedlam Hall, you're not wrong in that. When you explain it to people, you know, there's a kind of a side. There's this glance askew, right? But my wife and I were watching a series, and it at some point in the series, I started making a lot of notes on my phone, and you know, she was kind of like, you know, can you not, you know. Can you not touch something for just an hour at a time? And I was like, no, 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 no. When this is over, I want to, I want to, I want to pitch you something. And then I explained Bedlam Hall, and she was like, okay, you know. But, but she likes, you know, she she listens to Depeche Mode and the Cure and all that jazz. So this is right up her alley. <laughs> right. It's, so she she's kind of depressing. So yeah, it's cool. right up her alley of like, oh, okay, I understand this. But I was like, so we were watching. I was like, now imagine what I just told you, but take that, and now you're playing from that perspective of because essentially it's the people who are ignored because they will say the most terrible shit in front of you because they just don't care about you or don't even notice. Right. Yeah. You're just, you're not a, you're not a, a human and, but you have to carry on. And the, it's Bedlam Hall is really well done. And it's, it gave me this really neat idea to write something for it to put out there. Um, I just need to, to really get the, get the brass tacks <laughs> and find a, find a, a pigeonhole somewhere in my schedule of doing shit. One but, of the things about Bellum Hall that really was kind of uh, a, a, a joy to do was the aspect of violence. Because one of the things that, you know, in an every RPG, you know, there's the situation where it's like, I want to hit something, you know, that, that's yeah. just what happens. And yeah. I, I literally named the chapter about it saying the chapter 
about, you know, for people who just feel impelled to hit things. And it's, it, that's literally what it is. And the statement is, it, it boils down to saying, oh yeah, you can hit people. Of course you can hit people. Why can't you? If you do, you, you know, you hit them, yeah. but you may not get away with it. And that's the trick, yeah. you know I mean? In situations where it's like, oh yeah, you can try hitting somebody. I'm not going to stop you, yeah. you know, because, you know, let's face facts. If you take, you know, if you're at work and you, you, you decide, you know what, I'm going to punch this guy out. You could, and you know it because nobody's going to expect it. Right. But yeah. what happened? The, the next 30 minutes are going to be much different <laughs> yes. than the first 30 minutes yeah. and the 30 minutes before it. And so one of the things that I, I had to do is that, uh, you know, because everybody plays a different role in the, in the staff. So yeah. one of the roles is the chauffeur. Mm. And so what I loved about the chauffeur is that he has a move called lovable scamp. And the fact that basically he can hit people and get away with it. And so basically, you know, people, if he hits people, everyone goes, oh, that chauffeur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and because there are people always that get away with doing crap that they should not be. And everyone just goes, well, that's just him, you know, and. It's one of those things that I make it. I'm very happy that the real intrigue about uh, Bellum Hall isn't about the violence, but it yeah. does talk about an aspect of violence that sure. you don't necessarily get to have brought up in games, which is the aftermath of, of doing that, you know? Yeah. And actually, one of the other cool things about uh, Bellum Hall as a game. Uh, so I don't know. Have you ever. Okay. Okay. Characters die, and sure. in Bedlam Hall, that doesn't mean anything, really, yeah, because yeah. players, you know, what happens is that because it's really tongue-in-cheek, and actually, there's a series, I don't know if you've ever seen it, uh, one of my favorite uh, television series, it's called Dark Shadows. Yes. And <laughs> what's great about Dark Shadows is that cast members die, mm -hmm. but they keep going. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's like oh yeah he's dead but he's now a ghost and, he, and yeah. so one game I, I i ran where basically uh the chauffeur got killed and oh. actually he didn't just get killed he got obliterated he got yeah. blown up and then all of a sudden he's standing there and, and he's looking around and he just sees the stain on the wall and he's like where did that come from and of course the cat looks over and goes oh that's you what that's you nice you can talk well technically no but technically <laughs> neither can you what <laughs> that's you you mean i'm yes yeah <laughs> and you, and you're yes so we're yes <laughs> i don't know but that's yeah <laughs> so and it became this whole thing where he had to cover up the fact he was dead to the rest of the staff <laughs> like who is that uh, i don't know who that is because they saw him but you know because you know oh death doesn't stop you you know yeah what's worse is getting fired that's a worse thing you know right yeah and that's the thing about him it makes this where it, I, and santa i think you said you didn't think it the malice in them fit in but i think that was a a, a, a slight of sheep guy. Um, but yeah, it's like this oddity of like trying to explain to people is like, no, your, your goal is to, to keep basically to keep the master family happy. And then sometimes you have to do 
kind of terrible shit to each other because you also want to be the most popular mate of the ball when it comes to the family sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where, where you work, but in some scenarios, there's kind of a popularity contest. Oh, yeah, 100%. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I think everyone who's listening to this podcast right now just said, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Now, what's funny is, and ironic, and I, I've mentioned this in other like, discussions I've had about it, Bellum Hall's main mechanic was, I don't know if you've ever played uh, the Worldwide Wrestling game. Have you ever played that? Uh, what, for PBTAs? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've haven't played it, but I read it quite a long time ago. So why that game is brilliant, and it really is. Uh, God, I want to remember. Was Nick Paletta who wrote that? Wait a minute. Oh, I yeah. Want I, sure. I, I want to get it right because it's such a – yeah, it was Nathan Paletta who wrote it. So uh, what it is is that it, it, instead of it just being like, you know, winning or losing, you know, in the ring, the game is based off of heat, right? You know, because mm-hmm. – if you if you are a fan of wrestling, you know that you know it doesn't matter if you're a good guy or a bad guy if you win or you lose. What every wrestler wants to get is an audience reaction because yeah. when they have an audience reaction, that means that you know people are getting invested and whatever, and that's what they call heat, right? So one of the things I you know based off of uh, you know based based of Bellum Hoff is is the concept of prestige where it's like you don't necessarily have to be the smart person or you don't necessarily have to be the most successful but you can be the most you know prestigious member of the staff mm-hmm. and that means people will listen to you more than like the people really in charge so yeah. it becomes this kind of situation where you know people are want you know if if they so choose to you know try to one up one another trying to get more prestige from other people you know, compared to other people in the household and it's an it, it was a mechanic i really wanted to have because i also wanted to have that kind of weird kind of like you know social strategy game where people are always like trying to say oh well i did that yes yeah. i did that sir no you didn't but they're pretending they are so the master doesn't know. So that, that was one of the things that I really wanted in there. No, and you did it well because it, you're right. It, it, the, 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 the game itself mechanizes that very thing. <laughs> Everyone at the table can know you're a liar. In fact, you could do things sometimes in front of other people and still say you, 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 know, you're, you did the contrary. And mechanically and how the game flows, there's nothing you can do about it. They can try, but they're probably not going to do anything about it. <laughs> when, I, when I run Bedlam Hall, what I always do – is in the very beginning of the game, I start asking everybody questions about you know themselves and their characters, and then what happens is that for you know I, I guess a good way would be to say it would be you know me saying you know so Scott you know <laughs> I don't want to you know sit telling any stories about so and so but. Is it true <laughs> that, that he did this or he did that? And the point being is that you do that in front of the other players. So they know you're talking about them 100%. and they know yeah. it's like, it would be the equivalent of saying, so Christian, I'm not trying, you know, and I'm, I'm the storyteller on this. So it's Christian. I'm not trying to gossip, but 
Scott was going around saying, you can't handle like the controls of the recording blo- you know, of the podcast. <laughs> I defended you. Yeah. I mean, you know I would, but what Scott was saying. <laughs> and then what do you say to that? Well, you know, and the point is, is that by doing that, it sets the game up where everybody knows, oh, okay, we're going to be messing with one another or something fierce. Yeah, yeah, right. You yeah. know, well. And, how I would answer that is Scott doesn't know what he's talking about. He oh, can't I know. do any of it, so he's oh. just trying to pass the buck. I know. I, he oh. just rides on your coattails, Christian. <laughs> I'm does. just saying. You know. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, Scott, I don't. You know, just between us girls, I just want you to know that you really are the you know the the the, the master the genius of this. You know. You could go up, you know, I don't know what Christian's been saying. Christian was talking about you, but you know. All he does is talk and just breathe. I know, I know, but I defended you. <laughs> I always love saying that, but I defended you because that's when the players just go, of course you did. Yes, I did. That's funny. So that's the big lesson, really, for a lot of people who are listening who don't really haven't done these games or may not be sure of is. Like I said, I use a lot of these games as – and palate cleanser, I don't want it to sound bad because it's not. It's For me, it's a palate cleanser. It's usually a palate cleanser for players. Like, hey, we're going to – we need a reset between doing you know, fantasy X or science fiction Y. And here's what we're going to do because it's going to reset your ability to role play. It's going to reset your creativity and kind of just shed all the energy we've put into the last thing. Um, and just build people back up. And it, it, so far, it's 100% successful. And I, I love using these kind of games as that. Yeah, and like I said, I continually te- – I, I, I tend to make games out of interesting ideas that I that kind of crack me up and also like areas that I know aren't really being explored per se, not because – you know, it's, uh, you know, it, 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 whether or not it's like a, you know, oh, look at me or anything. It's more along the lines of that. I find that, you know, if an idea makes me, you know, chuckle for a couple of days and I don't see it out there, I go, well, this is something maybe I should explore, even if it's just something that I do, you know, around my own table, you know, and just because I want to see how it would work. A great example of this is, uh when I came back from my first Gen Con, uh, my first Gen Con, um, <clears throat> I was going through the dealer's room and I noticed every game, you know, all the major games that were being published that year, or it seemed this way, I must admit, was either about uh, fighting zombies. Oh, yeah. Or about Cthulhu. Yeah. Right? And so on the plane back, I wrote up this little game about zombies fighting Cthulhu. Because I figured that's that's gonna you know sell that one right there. And the idea of it became a little bit silly. And, and in that game was uh, it was called Necronama ZombieCon, I believe. And it it didn't really go anywhere, but I enjoyed playing it for a while and just doing it because it, I wanted to you know come see what the idea would you know what it would turn into after a while and so i really enjoy just doing you know just kind of exploring and experimenting with different things so well well well, you were kind of talking i 
especially uh especially about bedlam hall i was just thinking i was like i totally know how i'd run it but i would probably run it very different from you you should <laughs> yeah okay. absolutely i would i would need to homebrew some stuff you want to hear the idea it's it's actually a lot of fun so bedlam hall <laughs> you let us no, sorry I, I i got excited <laughs> about this i sorry um Imagine Bedlam For all Hall. Listeners, if he yeah. get if this gets published under the Monkey Fun name, <laughs> I swear to God, I had it already being worked on. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, it was all my idea. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so you take Bedlam Hall, the whole kind of premise of it, but then you strip it away to and put in a more modern setting, but you mix in uh, SCP. And the IT crowd. Ooh, <laughs> that's pretty good, actually. I know, right? I was so excited. I you better watch I that drive through RPG it. page. <laughs> what the fuck? It's already up. No. <laughs> yeah. Damn you, Kazay! <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, so one. So in the back of Bedlam Hall, it talks about different ways you could do it, and. Uh, you know, one of them was like doing it like on a cruise ship, and another one was uh, doing it in a uh, department store. Uh, <laughs> because actually, one of my fate, you're you're probably sitting here going, Dave, didn't you watch Chips or anything when you were a kid, or, or like watch anything normal? But I used to watch a TV series called Are You Being Served? And oh. Are You Being Served is the 70s, go figure, British comedy that takes place in a department store where all of them are just kind of, you know, getting into hijinks and what have you. And actually, talking a little bit about that, so you're, what you're thinking about, perfect, go for it, rock and roll. What I like to say is when people say, what's the what does the best Bedlam Hall game look like? I always say... Every Bedlam Hall game, and maybe it's just the way I run them, which is probably true, turns into an episode of Faulty Towers, <laughs> <laughs> where basically one player basically decides he's going to like get you know continually like you know I'm going to make this happen, and then every player in there will mess up his master plan, you know, to where he's like borderline nervous breakdown. And it's, it's kind of entertaining that way. Cause it just kind of happens, but you know, faulty towers is just one of those. And, and then everybody just slowly gets you know, more and more, you know, wound up and sillier as it goes. But, you know, not everybody, you know, let's see, I've mentioned faulty towers. I've mentioned <laughs> I'm trying to think of whatever else I've mentioned. So. Uh, other Scott, if you're listening, I'm expecting the list. There you go. <laughs> but it, it shows you the breadth of inspiration that you can draw on oh, at a moment's notice. You know. Yes. Oh. Oh. I mentioned Jeeves and Worcester. Good. I'm good. I'm glad I mentioned that. You know. So at Downton Abbey. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. You know. I always just want to just try different stuff out and. Um, one of the things that I always really try to do is, as a designer and a creator, uh, I try a lot of different systems. Um, yeah. One of the things that I always say to, you know, when anybody asks me, 
you know, what, you know, what advice they can give them. It's not just, you know, play a lot of games. That's, that's great. <laughs> you know, but it's also play games out of your wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I really, and, and I'm, I'm going to kind of give more credit to other folks here. One of my favorite uh, pieces of, of, of game mechanics that's come out the past five years has been uh, how the uh, Vampire 5th uh, Edition included the Blood Die. I don't know if you're familiar with this. So basically, you know, uh, Vampire, you know, in, in the storyteller system uses uh, D10s, and basically you're trying to get success. And so what they did is that they said, okay, one of your die are going to be, is going to be red. And that is in, that's based off of like your, your, your blood hunger and if you get to a point where you don't feed you get more and more of those red dyes and so that doesn't affect anything until you get a critical success or a critical failure on those dyes and then it changes the entirety of the game because then you know you are reacting to being you know you know to to being in a blood frenzy or something like that yeah. and the reason why i like that is because ultimately that is a nice, tidy way of changing the dynamic of just a simple fact of dice rolls without adding anything too complex. It doesn't add anything. Like by me, I mean, I'm not explaining it very well, but I'm fairly certain that by me describing it this way, it, it you know, it changes how you look at just the concept of a dice pool. Now. Yeah. Right. Because it's not based off of, you know, changing the number of dice or changing, you know, the, you know, whether or not you're using a D8 or D6. It's strictly changing the color of it. Bang. Now you've got a completely different way of looking at successes. I love that. That's that is so sharp. And so I love the elegance of moves like that or, or, or aspects of that that continually um, change how we perceive things. Um one of my, you know, I, I talk with him a little bit. I haven't talked with him in a while, but uh, uh, Epidiah Ravishol. Epidiah, by the way, who wrote Swords Without Master. He would definitely Ooh. want me to highlight that. But Epidiah is the guy who wrote Dread. Nice. And Dread, for the uninitiative, is that instead of dice, you use a Jenga tower. Yeah. Right? And whenever you are about to take a challenge on something, you pull you know, you, you pull one of the, you know, the planks out of the tower and, you know, if it falls over, your character dies. Right. And that's, you know, that, that's amazingly elegant. That really is. Cause it, it creates that whole sense of suspense and terror for the players that you just wouldn't have if you were describing it. Yeah. Go ahead. You're going to say something. Oh, no, I was, I, I was just thinking to myself, I was like, uh, I actually know another game that is going to that got permission to use that Jenga system, and I think it's going to be really cool. But that was kind of just a side note. Well, here's where this gets interesting. Okay, so the the game itself was okay. So it's been out for a while, and and <clears throat> excuse me, one of the interesting things about the game was that um, Alex Roberts. She took the game and she made it into something called, or, or she took the premise and made it into something called Starcrossed. Have you ever heard of Starcrossed? No. Uh -uh. So Starcrossed is a two-player game where it 
talks about the two people in our, our you know, it, it's about, uh, I, I'm trying to describe it correctly, about uh, the trepidation of falling in love. Okay. Where basically two characters have an attraction to one another, but they don't want to show it. So it's them trying to basically, you know, deal with their relationship aspects of it. And whenever they're about, you know, getting into a situation, then they pull one of the, the Jingo tiles. And if it falls over, then the relationship explodes into like a, a big messy thing. But the, what's great about that is that it takes what Epidiac created and then makes it into something completely unique that, you know, it, it's a brilliant twist on it that, you know, I, I, I actually think it's, you know, a, a, a very clever way of dealing with that kind of tension, but not in a like a a physical like threat or something like that, but talks about really in-depth emotions about these kinds of things. So what where I'm getting with this is there's a lot of potential for unique ideas and creativity that we you know we don't necessarily get to see if you just stay off you know on on your your, your D game yeah. which is why i always say try unique systems if you're if you play mostly pbta you should try fate you should do something uh based off of gurps you should do something that's savage worlds you should do all these things because those are the things that's going to add uh, depth to what you want to do. And you may not use them, but then you will understand concepts of, of why certain things work and then be able to apply it to what you want to do. Hmm. Yep. Nice. But, um, check just... me out. I know shit. I think he just wrote games about monkeys. <laughs> I was just like, shit, man. I feel like I just took like one of those, uh, masterclass type things. I feel, I feel enlightened. I feel well, like I know more shit now. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, one of the, wow. Uh, there, there's, uh, you know, I think it actually, you know, turning this back into, uh, and I, I realize I'm just babbling, babbling away. Um, it's good. Battle, the, don't worry. Oh, hey, it's good battle. It's, it's good one battle. to grow on. <laughs> um, it's a very interesting time right now, and actually, it's it's um, it has been a very interesting time for game design because you know what we do for games couldn't have been done uh, you know ten years ago, straight up. Because now you have print on demand. Now you have sites like uh, Drive Through RPG. Now you have like Indie Press. Now you have Itch.io, where you could, where creators are able to sell directly. And game, you know, game design is no longer something where you have to be a a big name to do it. If you have a good idea and you put in the work, uh, you know, you, you can publish it. In, in it's actually you know a very rewarding thing. However, one of the things that's very interesting now is, well, a couple of things, is, you know, Kickstarter, you know, has been, you know, a a great blessing, you know, to open the doors for a lot of things. But Kickstarter has also kind of changed its its direction of, you know, very much in the fact that a lot of the big names, and when I say big names, I mean like big companies, utilize Kickstarter. Yeah, you know, 
mostly for pre-order. That's really what they use it yep. for. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, that changes the, you know, as opposed to the smaller guys who, uh, you know, are putting out their first or, you know, or, yeah. or a little company. I mean, it, it's just, it's not the same thing as it once was. And, you know, drive-through RPG, you know, by allowing print on demand allows a lot of people to be able to get into the, you know, into the space. Right. And, and mm -hmm. you have a lot of creative ideas, but the challenge there now is that there are so many ideas that it's sometimes hard to sift through. And, and also really one of the things I say to people when they say, Hey, I want to be a game designer. It's like, cool. Do you want to be a game designer or do you want to be a game publisher? Because there's, those are two different things. And, it, you know, and, and I, I encourage people to do whatever, you know, what what their their muse tells them to do. That That is absolutely true. But I can tell you, you know, being, you know, doing what I do with Monkey Fun, a lot of it isn't doing, you know, they think I don't run games. You know, that's not all I do. Obviously, you know, you do you have to do promotion, you have to do sales, all these kinds of things, you know, layout and proofing and editing and artwork and all that there are so many aspects to you know that's just actually creating the game it's not just talking about the aspects of business and, and what have you and you know and marketing and, and all of these things are skill sets that go beyond just rolling some dice or, or encouraging people to roll dice so it's you know a situation where a lot of people have gotten into the field but you know you know I, I guess it's the same way that's, that people would say it's like everybody's got one book in them, but the question is whether or not you have a second book. Yeah, uh, it's the same thing, you know, with game design. It's like a, a lot of people have a great first game in them. Do you have a second game or, or a third? And um, you know, I I am very honest when I say you know I write games when you know I have something interesting to put out. Uh, I'm I'm fairly lucky. It's not you know it, it, you know my house payment doesn't isn't based off of you know whether or not I, I sell a game about you know talking monkeys or something, <laughs> but uh, but I know that you know it is something for people to consider. You know it is something where you if you want to do this you have the capability. It's it's not unlike uh, you know being a DIY musician these days. You know oh yeah you can definitely make a, a living off of it, but you will work. You know you will work very hard to be able to do it, but you'll be doing it on your terms. So that's the trade-off and that's okay. You know, you just got to realize that it's a give and take in these kinds of things. No, very, very well said, honestly. Uh, yeah, no. Um, God damn. That was good. <laughs> I, I got nothing else guys. Um, uh, and we're hitting about almost two hours. Now, oh, so your, your editing is going to be terrible. Oh, my editing is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyways, folks, uh, D I think that's all the time we have for today. I, Dave, I, thank you so much for coming on. Honestly, this was very enjoyable. And I've honestly... Thank you for having me, guys. And oh, you know, I, I can feel the stare from my wife through the wall. So <laughs> if you guys are interested more in what we do, feel free to find us on monkeyfunstudios.com. 
And we're also on, yeah, we're avail- uh, available through purchase through drivethroughrpg.com and also uh, Indie Press Revolution. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, I'm not on Twitter anymore, though. I've, I decided to hop off that. But, you know, we also have an Instagram, which is kind of cool. So reach out. And even and the one thing I can say, actually, before you bounce and, and everything, <laughs> um, if you got questions about the game system or, or, or game industry or, or how you can get into it or whatever, feel free to shoot me an email. Uh, I'm more than happy to give you, like, whatever in, info I got uh, because... I do believe that you should follow what inspiration tells you to do. Uh, don't feel like your ideas are any, any less than anybody else's. It's There's a lot of smart people out there. The, the success is based off of how hard you work. So, well, I'm going to have to have you on again. I actually have <laughs> a series on this podcast called One-on-One with Santa where I try and talk with creators about their experiences and even rec- how, how they recommend people get into the industry. So I would love to have you on for a one-on-one to discuss actually your experience. Absolutely. Uh, even further. You've been a blast. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, and yeah, li- like I said, links will be, uh, for, yeah, for once I'm actually lost the words. So. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much. And Happy New Year! Since this will be coming out of the New Year's, so you guys. All right. One, so one more of Christian. So, so this family goes in to a talent agency, and they say they've got a hell of an act. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> the aristocrat. You, you can cut it right there. 